Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. Luke, if you are a Pentecostal believer, the Gospel of Luke is critical for you to understand. If you want to study a Gospel, you need to study the Gospel of Luke. Mark is great. Matthew is great. John is wonderful. It's my favorite one personally. But as Pentecostals, we will see, because of the writer Luke, because of his emphasis on the Spirit and Jesus' reliance upon the Spirit, it teaches us and explains to us how we are to live our lives and walk as Pentecostal believers. Because it is Luke that wrote Acts. And so without Acts, we, won't, we would not understand the complete uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We would not understand significant portions of our theology if it were not for Luke the physician. And so in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, chapter 4 is one of those pivotal chapters that you, that you need to understand, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare and knowing about Jesus and understanding what he's doing and how, what, is, what is available to you. And in this chapter, you find Jesus being tempted by Satan. With your Bibles open on your lap there, I want you to, we, we know that Jesus has just come out of the baptism by John, and now the verse 1 of this chapter says, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, just being baptized, and was led by the Spirit, or driven by the Spirit, into the wilderness. Now this, this dri- driving of Christ, it was, it, he had to do it. Have you ever been driven by the Lord, driven by the Holy Spirit, where you just had to do something, you had to fulfill this? This is what is happening. It is necessary for Jesus to be in Satan's temptation for whatever reason. God had designed it this way. And so the Bible tells us that for 40 days he was tempted. Verse 4 Jesus responds when the devil says, turn these stones into bread. Verse 4 says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. So then we go on. The devil takes him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Basically looking throughout the ages of time. And and the devil showed Jesus these and said, I'll give them to you. And Jesus answered in verse 8 and says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. God and him only you shall serve. So the Jesus responds to the devil through the truth of scripture. When you let me listen to me very carefully, when you are being tempted by the devil, the only weapon you have is the word of God. It's the one Jesus used and if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. And then going down, he was tempted again. The enemy then twists and takes a passage from the Word and then tries to use it to deceive Jesus. You know, it's a losing endeavor, but he tries. 
and Jesus, he tells him, basically, throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. If you throw yourself down, the, then he quotes scripture. He, for it is written. I mean, how would you like the devil to walk up and quote scripture to you? He quoted scripture and says, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, verse 11, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, Jesus responds, and then he responds in scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, basically, what, what he's saying here is that you shall not use scripture or you shall not use a blessing of God for your own purposes. So, just because, the de- just because the devil told Jesus in the Bible where Jesus as being Messiah would not harm, be, be harmed, it doesn't mean that Jesus was going to go jump off a roof and want, let angels take care of him. That's tempting the Lord. It's not that God's going to sin, but what it's saying is that it's telling God, God, I'm in control here. And Jesus says, no, he's in control. And so I don't twist these things. I don't turn these things for myself. Now, verse 13, every word is critical in this chapter. And then the devil ended every temptation and departed him from until an opportune time. The temptation did not end. But it, he was waiting for the next moment. And we know when that would come later in the Garden of Gethsemane. But verse 14 Then Jesus, this is important, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, the Bible tells us in Luke 4.1 that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. But it also says that after the temptation, He returned in the power of the Spirit. You better get this. And in the midst of this is an attack by Satan. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of all these things, you see, you can get filled with the Spirit on Sunday night. And you haven't been, you are not going to express the 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 evidence of the power of the Holy Ghost until you fought with the devil. This is important. If you're go, let me put it to you in terms of police warfare here and, and all these things. If you're out there and you're and you're you're going to be part of a, 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 of any kind of a police force or join the army, what's one of the most important things you're going to learn how to do is shoot a gun. And the other thing is, is that you, you want to learn your gun. You don't want to learn your, your comrade's gun. You don't want to learn their gun because it might shoot just a little bit different than yours. It might feel a little bit different in your hand. You need to be comfortable with your gun. And in the army, you need to be comfortable with a gun so you can take it apart and put it back together. You need to know, eat, sleep, breathe this weapon of yours. It should be part of your body. And it needs to be proved. You with me? 
It needs to be proved in an atmosphere of firing. It needs to be proved in an atmosphere of, of being you know, accountable and looking at these targets and, and, and shooting and going over and over and over again. I'm telling you, God will fill you with the Spirit. And then people say, man, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm ready to take on everybody. And then the enemy comes in and goes, swack. The reason why is because God is about ready to exercise his power through you. Mm. God is about ready to exercise his power through you. And if you can't, if you try to avoid the temptation, if you try to avoid the trial, if you're trying to avoid this, you are avoiding being used in power from on high. You're being, you're avoiding being used by God in a mighty way because God does not allow you to be in the midst of battle without proving your, your warfare. Why? Because it's a matter of faith. You got to be like David. You got to take out a lion when no one is looking and a bear when no one is looking before he releases you to take out a giant when everybody's looking. You've got to be in the, sometimes you're going to have to be fighting the devil in the quiet of your own prayer closet, pulling down the strongholds when no one else is around. Because because the power of God is going to be exercised and, and, and used through you if you are walking in the Spirit, but you do not avoid this trial here. And this is where most people, myself included, we don't, no one wants to go through the fiery trial. No one wants to go through the issues that, 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 we, that we, we deal with. You don't want to do it. You don't, you don't want to face these things. But if you are willing to walk the path that God has said to go forward and to go forward, God can use you mightily, mightily in battle, mightily to take down the enemy, mightily because it's these people and these people are special. These are the ones you call in the middle of the night when you've got an emergency. These are the ones that you know that when they call unto the Lord, God hears their prayer. These are the ones that they, they don't play games and they don't mess around and they don't mince words, but they've been proven. They fought the devil and they've got the wounds that show you that, listen, I've been through the wilderness. I've been through the trial. I've been through all these things and yet I've come out in the power of the Holy Ghost. One more thing about the wilderness that I've taught you before is that the wilderness is representative in Scripture of no word. During this atmosphere, it may feel like your prayer is bouncing off of heaven. It may feel like, and the enemy is going to quote Scripture to you to confuse you. The enemy's going to try to use things to try to get you to falter and fail and try to get your mind wrapped around. This is where your faith has to kick in. Even though you don't feel it, and even though you don't see it, and even though you can't understand it, you've got to know that there's a reason that God has you standing where you are, and one day you're going to be on the other side of that. And it may feel as if there's no word. You're in the middle of a wilderness. You're in the middle of a trial. You're in the middle of something, and that, but you know that God is going to work things for your good, for those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. And if God has called you to this, you're going to make it through Jesus Christ your Savior. And so we have in this, this passage here being set up 
and being involved through what, what, what Jesus is showing us, the power of God, it is required that we live and operate in the power of God, but we cannot walk away from trials. And so then he goes into his Galilean ministry, and he get, begins to preach, the Bible tells us in verse 14 and 15, around, and then he goes to his hometown. He goes to his hometown, and one thing that is very vital, one of the hardest people that you're going to deal with are people that know you. I mean, it, it is, this is why in necessary in ministry, I believe for senior pastors that it's very difficult for them to go home and to be a pastor of their home church. It can be done, but it's very difficult because you are, you're in an atmosphere where everybody's seen you grow up. I, there's one church on this planet that I don't ever want to be the pastor of, and that's my home church that I grew up in. Because have them older ladies that changed my diaper in the nursery. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be around them. It's hard for them to call me pastor. It would be very difficult for them when they watched me grow up. You know, so, and I wasn't an angel. I'll just tell you that right now. But we don't need to go there. But the reality is, is that God, you, you work effectively when God is able to move you and use you in areas that, that, that are not your hometown in a sense. But because when taking away from the ministry here and getting back to everybody's life, you just can't move away. You live here. So, so what you have to recognize is that one, another difficult obstacle that you're going to face is that people that have watched you your whole life, are, it's going to be difficult for them to see you as a powerful individual in God simply because it's going to take a season for them to get used to you living and breathing in this. And it may be frustrating, but it's a Nazareth moment. It's a moment that you have to prove yourself. And proving takes longer and longer because we have baggage, we have history, we have past. And we have to, you have to go through a period of time before you're able to walk into some powerful moments. Now let's get into further into this. But back to where we were with Jesus. He opens up, and he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, okay? Then he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives of recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and everybody in the synagogue were looking at him, and he says, verse 21, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And immediately they got upset. They didn't say that, but that's what happens. They, were, they, they looked at each other, and they said, Wait, is this not Joseph's son? Isn't this... Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Joseph's son, the guy. You remember Mary and all that? You remember that? You know, remember that weird thing that happened when he was born? You remember that? You know, that's what's implied here. 
You see, he's, he's not supposed to be able to be used by God. He's, not, he's supposed to be an outcast, an outsider. He's not, he's, he's not supposed to be used by the Lord. And, and so is this not Joseph's son? Have we not seen this young man grow up? Have we not understood him? And, and, and come on, I mean, could there be anybody more qualified to be the Messiah than Jesus. I mean, here's a guy 12 years old teaching the people in the, in the temple, teaching the rabbis in the temple, and he's talking about being about his father's business. I would imagine that that would have rubbed off. And other people in Nazareth, I would imagine if anybody would want to sign up to be a parent of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be a long list of people because could you imagine being the younger son, James, walking around? I go, why can't you be more like Jesus? Well, he's Jesus. He came from God. You understand? I mean, he had to be the perfect child to raise. And they still, even in his midst, in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that issue and all those things, they still would not receive him. When we are blind and we, we, we look on the outside and we, don't, and we don't pay attention to what God is doing, without the eyes of the Spirit, we get caught and trapped and we get stuck into a, even the very Son of God could be standing in front of us and we miss him because we are not looking with our spiritual eyes, we are looking with our natural eyes. And I want to tell you there are miracle upon miracle and blessing upon blessing that we miss because we're looking at the situation with our natural eyes and we're looking at where we are and we're, we're saying listen uh, can you what what well if you really are Jesus if you really are Messiah and Jesus says listen and he goes on and he says surely I say to you verse 24 no prophet is accepted in his own country but I tell you truly Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there, were great, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman. The Syrian. What is he saying? The lack of faith has prevented the free exercise of the miraculous in your midst. When you are so surrounded, Elijah and Elisha, you're surrounded by trial, you're surrounded by wordlessness, you're surrounded by struggles and famine, you're surrounded by these things. And if you don't believe God, you're not going to receive. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through the trial. It means that the trial can consume you and destroy you if you won't believe and trust the Lord. Because he want, what Jesus is saying is that there were more widows that the Father wanted to touch, but they wouldn't believe. There were more lepers that God wanted to heal, but they wouldn't believe. There were more people that God wanted to, to feed. There were more people that God wanted to deliver, but they would not believe. And one of the most dangerous things that churches face is unbelief.
believe. I told you this morning how we went through Ephesians 6. The shield of faith is the only thing that's going to stop the missiles of the evil one in your life. You will not be able to stop any dart of the enemy as you are standing here without faith. All but be on the other side of it, every dart, every missile, every trial that he shoots at you, you put up faith and it will block all of them, every single one of them. So Jesus is telling you, you either, it's a matter of having or not having. There's no middle ground. Either you have faith or you don't have faith. And so this is why the trial is required in order for the exercise of the power of God because you've got to be able to, even though you're spirit-filled and even though you've gone through it, you've got to go through the trial in order to allow your faith to be proven so that the free exercise and the free use of the authority and the power of God can be utilized because God won't use you without faith. So he's, he's saying that, You've got to have faith to see these things. You've got to have faith. And it doesn't matter who's preaching. And this, this, this is so important for Pentecostals. I mean, because this is Jesus. You know, shouldn't he be able to heal whoever he wants to heal? You hear me? Shouldn't he be able to do whatever he wants to do? Of course, as God, he's fully God, yes. The answer is yes, he can. He can heal, touch, deliver anybody he wants to. He's Jesus. But what he has said is that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a requirement on healing. I'm going to put a requirement on deliverance. I'm going to put a requirement, and the requirement is faith. You've got to have faith. And he doesn't necessarily mean your faith. It could be, in Mark's gospel, faith of your friends ripping the roof off of somebody's house and letting you down in. But somebody's got to believe for the miracle to take place. Amen? And so... So if it's the will of God for you to be healed, if it's the will of God for you to be delivered, if it's God's power and might for these things to occur in your life, then somebody's going to have to believe he's, he's God. And he said, that's the requirement. I could do it all right now because I'm Lord, I'm Master, I'm King, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus, but I won't because no one believes here. Mm. No one's believing. And so he leaves. They were getting ready to kill him. They were so mad. They made, he made them so mad. Even though he was born and raised there, so to speak, in a way of saying it, they were ready to throw him off the cliff. They hated him so much. Somebody that has literally, for 30 years, they've known, and they're ready to kill him just like that. You see, when you, when you expose unfaithfulness, the, re, the reply back is vicious. People do not want to have their unfaithfulness exposed because that is where the enemy has them. That's where the enemy has them. They, they, and, and you can be, and let me say this, and I want to be careful, you can be born again, and you can trust the Lord, but if you won't believe God over your finances and trust Him 
You're not allowing God to bless you here. Over your health. Over your children. Over, pick a subject. I don't care. Pick a subject. If you think, well, I got this, Jesus. I'll be all right. You're not allowing the favor of the Lord to be there. You're not allowing the favor of God. And it doesn't mean you're not going to go through trials because good faith-believing people go through trials. It just means that the, the, the freedom and the deliverance and the hope of that freedom of what He's going to do and what God wants to do through you is going to come through your faith in God when it makes no sense. And when, when, when you can't see a way, He makes a way. When you don't understand a way, He provides a way out. And He goes through it all. And they tried to kill Him. They tried to throw Him away. And it amazes to me how quickly church people want to kill Jesus. Where were they? They were in church. It wasn't like they were down at the local tavern. They were in the synagogue. They were in church. They were in the assembly. And Jesus challenged them. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to receive it. They didn't want, they said, we got it our way. We like it this way. We don't believe you. We don't look at you. And we're not going to allow you to have access to what we're talking about. And they come at him to kill him. And one of the most Vital things that people have to get in their spiritual walk is that one of, the, one of the worst places in the whole world is an unbelieving church. Because you have spiritual casualty, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, where people get on fire for God. And you've got somebody that's been, uh, basically, the life has beat them and hit them and they, they have lost their faith and they're sitting there they're sitting there with their arms crossed and their face all, all soured up and they're, they're looking like the enemy is coming at them and they, they're, they're just there because this is their church and they don't believe and when somebody gets up and begins to get excited and on fire for the Lord, they're quick to put it down because they don't want to be moved off the bench, so to speak. Church can be one of the most dangerous places when people won't believe to the point that they'll be willing to kill you so that they won't have to receive what you're saying. Oh. Spirit, so I'm telling you, spiritual warfare, it is critical that you have faith in trusting the Lord and trusting in God. And so if you go on and listen to what he's saying and, and getting to where he's going, so he leaves. And then verse 31. And this is where we're going to Finish out the night, this story here. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now, they went to Capernaum. So he left his hometown, and he went to a place and began to teach with authority and they didn't throw him out. So we're going to see something here in just a moment. But you, you're, you're talking about a people that, that they, if they look at the archaeological sites, you're looking at small residents. These are small people, uh, sorry, small salt-of-the-earth people. These are people that, you know, entire families were living in 200, 300, 400 square foot areas, homes, very small. And they were all 
So these people, they, they live life together. They, they, they had everything in common together. They're going around together. And so when, when Jesus arrives into their atmosphere and he walks in, in their midst, he shows up and they begin to receive his teaching. This wasn't just one Sabbath. The Bible says in verse 31, this was Sabbaths. Weekly, he was teaching them as one with authority, as one with authority. Now, this word authority is important because he's talking about exousia, authority that only comes from God. You see, you have power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, but you do not have authority unless Jesus has given it to you. You can take authority over whatever you want to take authority over, but if, it didn't, if Jesus didn't release it to you, then you can't have authority. Hear, hear me. I, I, I see people every day out there going, I'll take authority over this, you know, going over. Well, listen, you can't take authority over something that belongs to the king. It's his authority. The Bible tells us that all Jesus said, all authority has been given to me under heaven. It belongs to Jesus. It's his power, it's his authority, it's exousia, it belongs to him. But you have delegated power, dunamis, that comes from God, that comes from, from the very throne of God. And when he gives you, he's giving you the, this power, the Holy Spirit, uh, to utilize as dynamite, as a weapon, as a, as a, as a power, as, a, tho- as a, a tool to be utilized for the glory of Christ. So when you, when you are walking around, you can't walk into a situation and, I mean, walk out into the bay without the will of God and having the heartbeat of the Lord. You can't walk out there and part the waters if you wanted. Try walking on them. If you do, will you video it so I could see? Because that would be awesome. You don't have that authority. God gave that authority to this world, nature, and has allowed the world to operate under certain physical laws, and we don't have the authority to violate them. But Jesus did because the Bible says all authority was given to him, and if he wanted to walk on water, he could walk on water. And if he wanted you to walk on water, all you had to do is get out of the boat and come to Jesus, and like Peter, you could walk on water, but you had to be invited by Jesus in order to do it. Are you with me? Are you seeing this? So when Jesus comes into this Capernaum and he's going into this atmosphere, he's telling them, he's, they're saying, listen, he's teaching with authority. He's teaching with power. He's not just saying, he's just not telling us what the word says. He's saying powerful things. He's telling them, he's speaking like somebody that's in charge. Let me give you an example in Matthew's gospel where he says, you've heard it said that if you... If you uh, hate your bro- don't hate your brother or whatever, and he says, but he basically says, if you hate your bro- don't murder your brother. That's where he said, he said don't murder. And he said, but if you look at your brother with hate, you've already murdered them in your heart. What is he doing? That's authority. He's teaching with authority. They never heard that before. He's saying, he's saying, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But he said, but if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
What's he doing? He's teaching with authority. He's declaring something as it is to be so because he's king. And all authority has been given to him. All authority has been given to him. But I want to tell you, when, the, when Jesus begins to speak over you and begins to say something over you and has given you a promise and has given you the word and says you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. When he says if you take my burden upon you, if you take my yoke upon you because it is easy and light. And basically he's saying I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry your burden. I'm going to carry your thing. When he says ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find not and it shall be open unto you. Basically he's giving you the right and the access and the authority through his word that you can do it not because of us but because of him and because what he has declared over you as a believer and who you are and then as we look at this they were astonished verse 33 so now in a synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of un of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice. Now, one of the weirdest things I realized in Scripture when I was studying and growing up, the demons go to church. And they don't go for the reason you come. They were in church. They were in synagogue. They were in the assembly, and there's a demon-possessed guy sitting there. You see, not everybody in the house of God is there for the same reason. And there are people that come to church for reasons that are outside of the will of God. They're there to create chaos. Jesus says they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're there to create discord within the brother. They're, they're there to destroy they're there to pull down and so you've got in order for you to be utilized by God you've got to recognize that God is still the authority and the power and you trust the Lord and you're not looking to others the Bible does not identify exactly who this individual was just that there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon. Somebody was demon-possessed sitting in the church. And then, this is what he wants to do. What is it, what's the demonic trying to do? Remember, this is all in the same chapter. The same chapter when Jesus is fighting with the devil. He says, the demon says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, what, what we see here, and this is what's disconcerting sometimes, is that the enemy knows when Jesus walks in, and sometimes we don't. Mm. I mean, he, the enemy, he sees Christ walking into the church long before we ever did. Before we recognize who he was, before we recognize what was going on, before we recognize what was happening in the house, the enemy 
the enemy saw, saw the, the, all these things happening. They saw Jesus. They saw, he saw the, the weapon. He saw all that, the spirit, the sword. He saw it all, Jesus walking in, and he called them who he was. Now listen, this is something that, that can be distracting to you when the, when the demonic is operating in the church. The demonic has a way of identifying Jesus. And if you don't have spiritual discernment to identify what is happening there, you may, for, you may think, hey, he's doing something right. Was there anything wrong with what the demon said? No. That's who he was. He was the Holy One. But what the demon was trying to do was he was trying to take, he was trying to take the glory for himself and identifying the identifying who Jesus was. And Jesus, one of the first things he says is, be quiet. Be quiet. What we have to recognize is that when, when the enemy comes in, you've got to say, you've got to stop the speak of the devil over you. You've got to, you've got to silence him first. And you, even though he may be saying something to you, and, and even though he may be trying to speak something over your life and trying to get you to look a certain direction, the reality is, is you've got to be able to have, be, be strong enough in the Lord to tell the enemy, silence. We don't want to hear what you have to say. We don't want to hear, because remember, he used scripture. He used, he tempt, tried to tempt Jesus with the word of God. Now he's telling the truth. And we know that Jesus calls him the father of lies. So he's trying to deceive people. He's trying to, he's trying to get people confused. He's trying to get people to, to misunderstand what's going on. And Jesus says, silence. You see, the one thing that we have to recognize in churches, a powerful thing here, is that when, when we come together in the house of God, when we come together to worship the Lord, when we come together, we've got to pray the enemy out and silence out and to get, get rid of the talk, get rid of anything that is going to prevent the free flow of the blessing of God in the house of God. We've got to allow the Spirit of the Lord to be in the room and not allow twisting and not allow the enemy to try to twist up what is going to happen. Because I, I, here's, what, here's one of the worst things that happens to revivals. Usually if you get a revival, and I mean a revival that lasts weeks and weeks and weeks, it usually fizzles out at the end. Because the enemy comes in. The enemy comes in, and when the enemy comes in, what sounds right, but there's something off, but no one can put their finger on it. He's coming in to deceive. He's coming in to, it sounds right, but Jesus said, listen, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the reality of what's going on. I don't know if he was an elder in the church. I don't know if it was his first day there ever, but he was somebody that had came into the house uh, that day to create chaos, to create confusion, to create discord. Within the house. And when you don't, when you, when you have in your life, when, you, when the enemy comes in, you know when the enemy's there, if there is fear and if there's confusion. Because perfect love of Christ has cast out all fear. The second thing, he is not the author of confusion. 
And when you, when you have the Spirit of God operating in the church, and when you have the Spirit of God operating, sometimes people get excited about that, and they get excited, and sometimes they want to get up, especially in Pentecostal churches. We get excited, and, you know, somebody, you know, they just might take off, or somebody, I've seen them lay hands on people, and yes, praise God, hallelujah, they're doing, they're, they're trying to serve the Lord, but sometimes it's in the flesh. Sometimes it's what we call that, what we mean by that, growing up when we say it, well, they're just in the flesh. What we're meaning is that they got super excited, but that wasn't of God. Doesn't mean that they've created some kind of sin unless they were doing it intentionally. But it means that that emotionalism had took over and they they started operating in things that that weren't there. I remember a story one time, scared daylights out of me. I like them stories that scare you. But maybe they're there for a reason. There was a, there was a guy, a minister, in a camp meeting one time. And he, the worship service was hot. God's presence was flowing. And he stood up and delivered a message in tongues. And the evangelist looked over, one of our general overseers, one man very close to the Lord that everybody holds in high esteem that has since gone on to receive his reward looked over at him and smiled and said, Brother, that was in the flesh. You can go ahead and sit down. you got to be close to Jesus to do that. I'm telling you, sometimes we can get so caught up in this spirituality of the moment that we, we, we forget that we've got to try and prove and we've got we to be strong. And this is why we don't allow people that just get saved to get up and be in the front line. Because they can be genuinely excited about something and they could be off. Because they haven't been proven. They haven't gone through the trial. Listen, you don't want somebody in the pit with you when you're pulling out the sword and you're attacking the devil. You don't want somebody that's never been there before. You want somebody whose sword's been bloody with the demon's blood and that's ready to fight with you and know that you're going to make it. And so we, we've got to, and so Jesus looks at them and he says, he says, be quiet, come out of him. And when a demon was thrown, and the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place, into the surrounding region. I said all this to get us back to this point where we have been, God is bringing all this into the spiritual warfare. I said it Wednesday, I said it this morning, I'm saying it again right here at this moment. We don't pray, we don't pray to impress God. We don't pray to inform God. We pray to invite God. Invite Him into your midst. For what purpose? That He may be glorified. That's what, what, what He says. They began to talk about Him. Here. Let me tell you, you may not like this. But if you're talking about the church service, 
rather than the one you met at church? You hear me? Man, that we had church tonight. It was great. Everybody was shouting and running. God was doing. Listen, we got to be talking about the one that showed up. You know what I'm talking about? We can have powerful services, but we're not here to have powerful services. We're in here to invite His presence. We've, we've gone through too many things in this week, and we've gone through trials, and some of you may be fighting for your very lives, and we're not here to play games. We're here to invite Him into our midst so that no one gets glory but Him. So that when we leave this place, we say, was not God good tonight? Look what the Lord has done. Look what Jesus did when he came into the house, when he walked into the thing. And we silence the demonic. And we say, you don't get the glory. You don't get to twist this. You don't get to take control over this. This belongs to the Lord. My life, my house, my church, it belongs to God. And all things come through and by him and are for him. Praise God. Stand with me as we finish this. Hear me tonight. When you are in spiritual warfare, your only, only way of hope is to see to it that He creates a path for His glory. He, we used to sing an old song, He's the way maker. Jesus always makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. He always does. There's no, there's no mountain, there's no cancer, there's no financial, there's no anything, no depression, no emotional issue, nothing that can stop the way maker from coming into your situation and making a way out for you. There's nothing that can stop him from making a way of salvation for your children, but we've got to invite him. We've got to allow him to have the glory. We've got to allow him to be in control and let him speak peace. He alone, he alone is the way maker. He alone, He alone is the one that calls us forth out of darkness. He's the one that brings us into light. He's the one that rescued us. He's the one that spoke to us. He's the one that convicted us. He's the one that called us. He's the one that gave us mercy when we were living in sin, far away from Him, and deserved to die, and deserved to die in our sins, and go to hell, and never be with God. But His mercy made a way where there was no way. His favor made a way through your mother's prayers, your father's prayer, your grandparents' prayers. Somebody prayed over you and Jesus made a way for you. He's the one that called you to the altar. He's the one that gives you breath in your body right now. He's the one that holds you up by your very, his very hand. He holds us with his being and one day he's going to make a way. One day the sky is going to part open and when the world doesn't understand it, he's going to make a way and we're all going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. Praise God. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. 